When I was younger, my parents had myself and my siblings in a kids' ministry called Awana. Now, if you are not at all familiar with Awana, it is a program where you memorize a lot of Bible verses and you play a lot of games. The games were my favorite part of the day. I loved playing the games, and we played all of our games on what was called the Awana Game Square. I know that's a creative name for it, but that's what they called it, the Awana Game Square. We played all these games, and my favorite game that we'd play on the Iwana Square was the relay race. Uh, in case you're not familiar with that, let me explain it to you. So you'll see that there are four different colors. There are four different teams, green, blue, red, yellow. And each of the teams would pick out three or four individuals to run the race. First person would start at their line, like the green line or the yellow line or the red line, and they would run two times around the circle. On the second time, they had to pass the baton onto the next runner who was one of those other stars by the little uh, hash mark over there. They would pass that baton inside of that zone between the two colors, and then the next person would run two laps, and then the next person would run two laps, and the last person would run around the cone, go to the middle, try to pick up the pin, and win the competition. Now, that was incredibly fun and super chaotic because you had four people running around at the same time, passing each other. You're trying to pass the baton in the middle of this. There is so much going on at the same time, but it was my favorite. I still remember that day uh, when we played it for our one games and we won. I mean, it was an epic moment. I wanted to actually do the relay race with you today. Um, I thought, hey, that would be so much fun to do a relay race. We have all of our kids in the worship center, so we should, we should totally have a relay race. But then our tech department decided that that is not a good idea because we have lots of great and expensive equipment that is lined up and not a lot of space. So I came up with another option. We are going to do a little bit of a relay race, but you are going to be doing it while you are seated in your seats. So here's how it's going to work. If you are standing on this or sitting in this aisle over here, if you would reach down underneath your seat, it'll be one of the end aisles and then down on this row too, if you'll reach under, see if there is a little baton underneath your seat. Oh, we have one right there. Who else has a baton? Right here we have a baton and right back here. So here's how it's going to work. You guys are now officially in a relay race. Here is how it's going to go. You are going to pass the baton. Oh, it has to start on the end. No cheating. All right, we have to go on the end, and you're going to pass it all the way down the line that you are in, the row that you're in. At the end of the row, you're going to pass it to the row behind you, and they are going to pass it all the way back to the end. And then the person on the end is going to run it up to me. First person to do that wins for your section. Now, the important rule is you have to pass the baton to every single person that is in your row. You cannot skip anyone. So everyone in the row has to do it. And just to incentivize it a little bit more, I have a little, a little prize. Everyone in your row gets a piece of candy. You get to share this with them. So a little bit more incentive for you to play the game today. Are you guys ready? Who's the baton? You guys have the batons? Okay, and it's going to go down and behind you and then back to the center. Person on the end is going to run it up to me. First person to do that wins. Are you ready? Set, go. Oh, there's no cheering. Like everyone's, like there's, what is, it's a race. Who's going to do it? Who's going to make it all the way in? I know that there's kids in these rows. They're going to be like, we are winning that candy. Just two rows. You just have to do two rows and then bring it up to the front. All right.
right. Great middle section is the winner. Let's give it up for Jerry. Middle section, you guys get to share that. Looks like there might be enough for many of you in there. Our baton got a little bit messed up. Oh, that's okay. When we are looking at the relay race like this, in this relay race, in the Iwana relay race, in fact, in every single relay race, the rules are the same. You need to run your leg of the race well. They need to pass the baton off correctly to the next person who will then run their leg of the race well, ultimately hoping to win the race at the end. Now, the same is actually true in the race of faith. It is characterized as a race, our faith is. And our job as followers of Jesus is to do the same thing, to run our leg of the race well, to pass the baton on to the next generation and in such a way that they will run the race well with the ultimate goal that we would end the race well, resulting in eternal life with God in heaven, whether that's through death or when Jesus Christ returns. That's the goal of the race. That's the goal of this race. But the focus of, the t- of today is not necessarily on us running the race well. While that's important, that's not what we're going to be talking about. Rather, we are going to be putting a big spotlight on the baton passing portion of the race. That's what we're going to focus on because one of the most incredible components, the core values, the essential components, the passionate heartbeats, of us at Keystone is an unswerving commitment to the next generation. And as such, we want to focus on how do we pass the baton of faith on to the next generation in such a way that they will run the race well in the leg that they have to run. Now, you might be saying, oh, that's great. That's what we love about Keystone. We love that there is a a great student ministry. We love that there's a great kids ministry here at Keystone. We love that you all are putting a big focus on leading the next generation to find, follow, and love Jesus. But the reality is this. Each of us has the ability, opportunity, and responsibility to pass the faith to the next generation. Each of us has the ability, opportunity, and responsibility to pass the faith to the next generation. It's not the job of the church because if you look throughout scripture, it's always been the same thing, that the main way that the faith is passed down from generation to generation is not from a pastor or a priest. It is not done through a synagogue, a temple, or a church. Rather, the faith is passed down through the moms and dads, the grandparents, the uncles and the aunts, the brothers and the sisters, the close friends and relatives. And lastly, it is by the faith community. That's how God has designed for the faith to be passed down from generation to generation. You know, I've heard the saying before that the church is always one generation away from extinction. I heard that a lot growing up. I heard that a lot in my schooling, that the church is always one generation away from extinction, meaning that if we don't pass the faith on, the church is going to die. I don't believe that. I think that's an absurd, absurd statement because Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I, I have no doubt that Jesus is going to build his church regardless. But what is true is that the local church is always in danger of extinction. 
And we have seen that displayed throughout history and even in our own time. We see it displayed as churches have ceased to exist in places far away like North Africa, but also here in the United States and even here in Lancaster County. All of us probably have some idea of a church that has dwindled to a very, very small assembly or has ceased to exist here. How does that happen? How does that happen where the church just kind of ceases to exist? Well, I don't want that to happen here at Keystone. And I don't think anyone here wants that to happen at Keystone. We want Keystone to be here for generations. We want it to be thriving well into the future. We want our students to rise up and to know, love, and follow Jesus and to take the church into the next generation to see God do some amazing things through it. We want to see this country, this county, this world changed through them. That is why the responsibility is for all of us, each of us, to be involved in this. Because each of us has the ability, opportunity, and responsibility to pass the faith to the next generation. Each of us, each of us has a responsibility to pass the faith to the next generation. Now, before I get too far along, I want to point out one thing that's important. What we want to pass along to the next generation is our in its to pass just the faith on. Because sometimes the next generation, they'll get hung up on looking at our running clothes or our running styles. The way that we do things or the way that we look. When I look at my own faith background, I look at, back at that time not with great joy. In fact, what I look at in that background is I remember the church I grew up in being very concerned with the outward appearance. They had rules about how long your hair could be, if you could have facial hair, how the clothes that women wore had to be dresses, skirts, or culottes, how you could never listen to music with a beat in it, never go to movies, never use a translation of the Bible other than one. They were focused so much on the running clothes, on the outward appearance, that they missed a whole generation of kids. And our kids grew up knowing that that was what was most important. What we need to do is shift that and say what we pass down to the next generation is our faith. We need to tell them what is most important, what is most engaging, what is most enduring, what is most satisfying. That is what we pass along to the next generation. And that's precisely what a man named Asaph writes about in the second longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 78. He wrote this as an, an attempt to help the whole people of Israel to realize their responsibility to pass their faith on to the next generation. So we're going to pray really quick and then we're going to dive into the first eight verses and then talk about how we pass the faith on to the next generation. God, we ask that you would be with us in this moment. Open our eyes to see the truth that we need to see. Make us aware of the responsibilities we need to have and give us joy and passion about doing so. May you be seen clearly and may our lives be changed dramatically as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what Asaph says in the first eight verses of Psalm 78. O oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories 
we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Asaph then goes on for the the rest of the psalm to talk about instance after instance of the people of Israel failing to do this, failing to listen to God, to obey him, to share the miraculous deeds of God with their children. And as a result, their lives were, were impacted and generations were lost and people suffered. And they ran after other gods. And listen, if we're not careful, the same thing will happen to us in our church, in our generation. If we are not faithfully passing the faith on to the next generation, then they will fall into the same trap of going after other idols. Only these are not going to be idols of stone or wood. These are going to be the idols of, of popularity and success, of desire and power and leisure and sport and money and image. And these will become gods to them. What we need to do is pass along the faith and to combat that, Asaph gives us about five truths that we can pass along to the next generation to help them. For what purpose? So that they will set their hope on God anew. So that this generation will set their hope on God anew. So that they will not be like their ancestors who were rebellious and stubborn and unfaithful and refused to give their hearts to God. So Asaph says, please don't be like that. Instead, let's pass the faith on. And he gives us five things that we need to do, five truths. First one is this, standing out above them all and how he starts the psalm is by giving the picture to the next generation of how beautiful and incredible God is. In other words, he's saying, you need to tell the next generation that God is amazing. Let me show you why. God is amazing. Let me show you why. The first couple of verses, uh, verses two through four, he says, For I will speak to you in parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories. We have heard and known stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. It's interesting that Asaph starts off here with miraculous deeds of God. Why does he start here? Why not start off with instructions? Why not start off by saying, here's what you should do? Because stories tell truths. Stories tell truths about who God is. And number two, Asaph wants them to know, hey, this God that we're going to be talking about, he's not some far off concept. He's not some deity that lives so far out of the way, so far up in heaven that he has no idea what is going on on earth and no interest in it. Rather, God is at work here on the earth, that he loves his people and he's actively involved in their lives. And he says, let me show you how he's doing that. He wants to fill the next generation with this awe and wonder of who God is. 
how God shows up in ways that only he could. And I'm curious, each of us have these stories that are in our minds. So since we have our kids here, I'm curious with you, if you are under sixth grade, I would love for you to answer, what is your favorite Bible story? What is your favorite story that you have heard about God from the Bible? You don't have to raise your hand, just shout it out, shout it out. Which one? Mary and Joseph. I love that story. What other stories do you have? What are some of your favorite Bible stories? Esther is one of my absolute favorite. Elijah. Oh, the things that he did. Jonah and the big fish. Noah and the ark. Oh, I love that story. Daniel and the lion's den. That one is one of my favorites. What are some other ones? Ruth? Ooh, that is a very good story. Anyone else? Creation? That's probably one of the best ones. Did you think of it yet? Which one? <laughs> David and Goliath. I love that story. You know what? These are great stories, but we have to think, what makes them so great? Why do we tell these stories? Here at Keystone, we, we love telling the big God story, going from creation to revelation, sharing how God is involved in all those. But why do we share these stories? What's the big point? Is it just to say, wow, Daniel stayed all night in a den full of lions and he didn't die? That's amazing. Or, or like David and Goliath, one of my favorites, where David is this young teenage boy and he stands against the Goliath and against all odds he defeats this giant. Those are incredible stories, but what makes them great and what we need to communicate in this to our next generation is not just that these are great stories, not just that they did great things, not just that David was courageous and brave. Yeah, that's great. But what we need to communicate to them is this. David's God was big. David depended on God, put his hope and trust in God and knew that God could do big things through small people, that God could do anything because nothing was impossible with God. All of David's confidence was in God. You see, when we start telling stories and we make the character the main point or what the character did or how he behaved, the main point, then they think that that's what's most important in the story. But that's not what's most important in the story is, is God and how incredible and how mighty he is, how active he is, how interested he is in our lives. We need to be sharing the stories of the greatness of God with the next generation. Fill their minds with the glory and the majesty of who he is so that it will overshadow and blind every other thing that would try to distract them as greater than him. Here's something that you can do. I want you to think through in your own lives, as adults, young adults, students, even kids, what are some of your favorite stories that you have about God? Think about those stories. And then I want you to try to find a way to share that story with someone younger than you this week. What story has impacted my life about God? 
And who can I share that with? Whether that's having a conversation before or after church out in the lobby or maybe with your children or your grandchildren or a niece or a nephew or maybe when you're serving in our kids or student ministries or maybe just actively look for an opportunity. But think of a story that has impacted you about God from the Bible and share it with someone this week. Coupled with what Asaph was talking about with the glorious deeds of God is the second truth that we need to communicate to them. In this passage, Asaph combines, he couples God's deeds with God's commands. But he doesn't want the people to just come across as thinking, this is what God commands you to do. Rather, what Asaph wants us to communicate to the next generation is this. God's way is best. You should follow his commands. God's way is best, so you should follow his commands. Everything is, is connected together. If you see that in the passage, he connects all those. He issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded them to their children to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the generation of the children not yet born. He couples those together. In fact, this is what Moses did. When he was just giving the Ten Commandments to the people, he sat them down and he shared with them this message. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. That's in Deuteronomy 6. And then right after that, a few verses down, he says, Now I want you to teach these to your children, and talk of them when you sit at your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This has to be part of your big conversations all the time. And then the whole way that is coupled with the actions of God is down in verse 20, the same passage, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, he says this. If your son asks you in the future, saying, what are the testimonies and the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord our God commanded you? You will say to your son, we were servants to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out from Egypt with a mighty hand. The commandments and the practices, they are inseparably linked to the great and mighty deeds that God did. You see, there has to be the context. You can't just have the commandments without the story demonstrating God's love and activity on the part of his people. And you can't just have the stories without the truths. This is what God wants you to do. Listen, when we communicate to the next generation, we have to tell them, hey, God has set down a plan for you to follow. And it's important that you follow it because his way is best. And I want you to have the best life you can. If we focus just on saying, hey, this is what God tells you to do. Do this, do this, do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. And we give them a whole list of rules of do's and don'ts. They're going to miss the whole picture. What we need to show them is God has a plan. He created life. He created this world. He knows what works best. He knows what will be best for your life. So if you listen and you obey him, it will be best for your life. We need to communicate that to our children, not just rules, but 
God wants you to live the best life you can, the life he desires for you. And that can only be found if you listen and obey him. We need to share with our children what Moses shared with the people of Israel right before they entered the land. At the end of Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, tell your children these instructions. This is where your life is. Here's something that you can do to help the next generation capture this truth. I want you to think through in your life, hey, what were the most difficult commands that I had to listen to and obey from God? Ones that I struggled with the most. Maybe for some of you, it was being truthful that uh, telling lies was something that was, was really hard to overcome in your life. So when God was telling you to be truthful, that was a tough command to follow. What is it in your life that was difficult for you to obey? Think about that and be ready to share that. Or maybe think of a commandment that you said, I'm going to obey God no matter what, and you did it, and you saw God bless you in your life. As a result, I want you to think of those. Why? Because if you are constantly thinking of them, you're going to get an opportunity in a conversation, I guarantee it, where you will get to bring that up and share that with somebody. And they need to hear that. The younger generation needs to hear, hey, I struggled obeying God, but I did it because I knew his way was best. Hey, I struggled to obey God, but when I did, he blessed my life. But more than that, when they learn these things, it's going to help them because it's not always going to be this way. There's going to be times in their life that are going to be difficult. And they need to be able to trust that God is good and God is faithful. In fact, that's what Asaph points us to next. In those seasons of difficulty that are going to come in our lives, we need to tell the next generation, God is faithful even in the hard times. God is faithful even in the hard times. The very next passage, part of the passage down in Psalm 78, Asaph gives an example of, of these, these warriors in battle. And they are talented, brave warriors. And they go to battle and then they run away because they thought the battle was too hard, that their enemy was going to defeat them. They took off and Asaph said, why? Don't you remember who God was? This is the God who was with you in Egypt. He was with you when you were in bondage and he delivered you. Then he led you through the Red Sea on dry ground with walls of water on one side and the other. Then he led you through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And then he provided for you water from a rock, bread from heaven. God is great. You can trust him with this. He is faithful. Even in the hardest times of your life, you can trust God. We need to communicate this to the next generation, don't we? Because things are not always going to be easy. The next generation might now feel that things are not difficult. The biggest challenge they might have in their life is maybe a fight with a friend or a bad grade in school or, or something like that. But there will be seasons in their life where they will experience loss, that they will have moments of deep sorrow, where they will experience brokenness and betrayal. They might even experience deep financial struggles. There might be deep emotional hurts in their life. 
And if they don't know that God is faithful, no matter what, then they will walk away. We need to communicate to the next generation that God is always faithful. Even in the hard times, even when it's dark, even when it's difficult, God is with us. There's a companion to Psalm 78, Psalm 71. The psalmist there is saying almost the exact same thing. In Psalm 71, verse 18, he says, Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. What's different, though, is in this psalm, it's a lament psalm. The rest of that psalm is him complaining about how difficult his life has been, how many hardships he's had to endure, how often his enemies came after him and crushed him. And yet he says this, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depth of the earth. You will restore me even to the greater honor and comfort me once again. Then I will praise you with music on the harp because you are faithful to your promises, O my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre, O holy one of Israel. God, God wants us to share with the next generation that he's faithful all the time. And if our next generation only sees that things are good, that difficult times don't come, then they're going to miss it when they do come. So here's something that you can do. Maybe take a moment this week and jot down a moment in your life where God has been faithful to you. I can think of five without even blinking an eye. Write it down. God was faithful to me in this moment. This is where he came through. This is how he provided for me and my family. Write it down or maybe even volunteer to to be videoed in sharing that testimony because when you capture that and you share it, the generations behind us will be able to see and experience that God is faithful all the time, which is what leads to the next point, the next truth. God is faithful all the time so God can be trusted with all of our lives. God can be trusted with all of our lives. In surprising fashion, when Asaph finishes the passage of the greatness of God, he compares it to how faithless the people were. Listen to what he says in these verses. Yet they kept on singing against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike a rock so water gushes out, but he he can't give his people bread and meat. When the Lord heard them, he was furious. The fire of his wrath burned against Jacob, yet his anger rose against Israel. For they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. And he goes on to describe what he did. I want you to skip down to verse 32, but in spite of this, the people kept sinning. Despite his wonders, they refused to trust him. So he ended their lives in failure, their years in terror. When God began killing them, they finally sought him. They repented and took God seriously. Then they remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But all they gave him was lip service. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They did not keep his covenant. If you go back to verse 21, 
It says, God was furious. I love that. He is furiously angry at the people. Why? Because they did not believe him or trust him. That word believe there is actually not the best translation of the verb behind it. The verb behind it is capturing the idea of trust or conviction. Belief sometimes doesn't quite capture that for people. Believe oftentimes is just intellectual assent and not trust. In fact, a man named A.A. Anderson says, Old Testament faith is not, at least primarily, an intellectual assent or consent to certain ideas about God. Rather, it is an attitude toward him which takes seriously his commands and promises. Faith in the New Testament is not that much different. Here's the difference. What Asaph is telling us to do to pass on to the next generation is, is to trust God, not just believe, trust him. You guys displayed this today when you walked in. Because when you walked into church today, you casually walked in to your row, and then you sat down in your seats. You didn't think twice about it, did you? <laughs> you put your stuff down, and you just sat down in your seat. You didn't think, hey, can this chair support me? Can this chair really help me and hold me? You just sat down. That's belief. That's, that's just kind of thinking, oh, I know that this is going to happen. I know I'm going to sit down and believe that it's going to do it. It's assent. I know a chair is going to hold me when I sit. That's not the trust that God is talking about. The trust that God is talking about here that we need to pass along to the people in the generation next to us is an absolute trust, full trust, dependence on him. Kind of like this. I trusted my life to Mike and Dustin. Thank you guys for actually catching me because that's like concrete down here. That would hurt really bad. That's trust. Like I'm sitting here and I'm putting my life in their hands saying, if you don't catch me, things are going to go bad really quick. My wife's going to get very angry. When we have a trust in God, it's saying, I trust you with my life. I know that you can care for me. I know that you have goodness for me. I know that I will, I can trust you to get me through the difficult times in my life. That's trust. That's what we need to put in front of our, our next generation. Purposed trust. You have to think about this. You have to actively put your trust in God to get you through all of these things in your life. But some of our next generation might come up and they might say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying about this, but I see so much going on in this world like where is God? If God is faithful and God is just and God is good, why are all these things happening? Why is there so much brokenness? Why are these people not being punished? Why do I see that God is not moving, not doing what I thought he should do? In those moments, we need to communicate to the next generation that God is just and good, no matter what the world looks like. God is just and good, no matter what the world looks like. That means at some point he's going to right every single wrong and he's going to punish every single crime. God will always do what is just and what is good. But you might think, well, hold on a second. That doesn't make sense to me because I heard the story about this, this guy named Jeffrey Dahmer who was a cannibalistic serial killer and he killed all these, these people and yet there's accounts of him receiving Jesus and and accepting Christ and being born again in prison. How is that fair? How will I spend eternity in heaven with a serial killer? Well, because God 
has already paid for that. God is either going to punish them on this earth or he's going to punish them on the cross with Jesus. See, he took all of Jeffrey Dahmer's sins, all of his aggression and vileness and put it on Jesus. And then God hurled the extent of his wrath on Jesus instead of Jeffrey Dahmer. And he paid for it so he can still be just and good. There will be moments in this life where we think that this is not good and God is not showing up in the way that he ought to. But we need to remind the next generation that God is always just and good. We need to establish their, care, their trust in his character as good, loving, gracious, but also sovereign in making sure that he puts everything right in all the darkness light. We are all in a race. We're all running the race of faith. And if we're only thinking of how we are running, we're missing the whole point. We're only in the race for a short time. For it to continue, for Jesus' work in this community and the world to continue, the faith has to be passed along to the next generation. They have to be the ones to carry it on to the future. Not just the things that we hold as important, but the things that are most important most enduring, most engaging, most satisfying, the faith. Here's what's really unique and what I want you to capture. When you look at a relay race, where is the next person in that race? Is it behind them? They are in front of them. They run to the next person in the race and they pass the baton on who will then take the baton further in the race. That's how it is in the race of faith. We are not trying to pass along the faith to a generation behind us. If we have that as our picture, we're going to think, hey, you guys are coming behind us. You need to look at what we've done, carry on the traditions that we have, carry on what we think is important. When we look at the generation as ahead of us, they are going to be the ones to carry the traditions on, carry the faith on. Then we're going to want to find a way to empower them to take the gospel, to take the truth, take the faith into places that we never thought possible, to do something, a work that only God could do through them. We need to look at them as taking it into the future instead of us handing it off to people behind us. We need to pass the faith on. Each of us has the ability, the opportunity, and the responsibility to pass the faith on to the next generation. And anyone could do it. I'm not saying anyone is excused from this. Like, if you are a more experienced saint, I say that gingerly, I'm not saying you're old. You are experienced, but you have lived a good amount of time and you have seen and experienced God's goodness, faithfulness. You need to share that with those who are behind you, especially the adults that are stuck in the, the hardest parts of their lives where they're trying to navigate kids and finances and job and future. Be there for them to encourage them to focus on God. Adults, you are in the midst of the hard, hard stuff. You need to be living in such a way that those coming behind you, the young adults, can see and say, I want to be like that. This is how you run well. Young adults, you are in that middle zone where you have graduated from high school and you still have youth and energy. It's great. You need to take that and invest it in the next generation, especially with students who need to see that it's worth it to hold on to Jesus. Students, you are not exempt. You hold such a big spot in the lives of our elementary students. 
If you are in middle school and high school, our elementary students look up to you. They love it when you take your faith seriously, when you share with our young ones that you love Jesus. Even elementary students, you can share with your siblings or others. I love it. One of my favorite things is when I get to hear my oldest daughter, Madeline, share stories that she loves about Jesus with her younger sister, Haven. And then Haven shares it with her younger sister, Brooklyn. And I can't wait for Brooklyn to share it with her baby sister. We all have the responsibility to share the faith and pass it on. Let me close with this. There are four things that, four mistakes that we often make in passing the baton off. If you look at a relay race, you'll see that in those relay races, uh, they often fall into four different mistakes. And we can make the same mistakes spiritually as well. Number one is this. The receiver might not be ready for the baton. I watched a relay race where the guy from Jamaica is coming around the track and the next person leg, the second person leg, was talking to somebody else, talking to somebody on the infield. Had no clue there's a race going on. And that his, his teammate was running with the baton. This, he ran right by him, had to stop to give him the baton. That can happen in the faith as well. That there are people, there are young adults, adults, children who are not yet ready. They don't know what the race is or what it's about. Love those people. Be patient with them. Introduce them to the race. Hey, this is what the race is. This is what it's all about. This is how you run it. Instruct them on what the race is going to look like for them. The second mistake that people make is this. The receiver and the passer are running at different speeds. You'll see that when the passer, he's coming up and the receiver is not running the same spot and they either overshoot or undershoot. They're running at different speeds. And that can happen in the church as we try to pass the faith onto the next generation. Sometimes as those who are passing it, we think that they should get it by now and maybe they're not. We think they should be further along than they are and they're not. Or maybe there's somebody who is the receiver who is just on fire and lit up for Jesus and is not, and we're not telling them fast enough, giving them the instructions fast enough. They're trying to go further ahead and we're kind of holding them back. What we need to do is what they do in the race is they set the tape for how they will run so they can match their speeds in the section. Be there to help match the speed. Find out where that person is that you are passing the faith to and run alongside of them at their pace. Number three is a lack of communication. When a, a runner, the pastor comes up, he'll either say stick or hand. And what he's trying to do is let that person know he's ready to pass the baton. It's a specific communication word. In the church, we often expect people to, to hear or understand the way that we talk or the way that we understand it. What we need to make sure of is when we're communicating, we communicate in a way that the receiver will understand it. Doesn't mean that you have to know all the lingo all the new words, the way to do, to do all the acronyms or the emojis because it's, it's always changing and you're never going to get it. And they'll always mock you for it, speaking from personal experience. What I am saying is when you come up to somebody, communicate with them in a way that they will understand. Share your experiences, your stories in a way that they will understand. Communicate well. And last, the problem, the last problem is that oftentimes they don't let go of the baton and the transfer pastor won't let it go. The generation before, we need to be ready to release the generation ahead of us. We need to let them go, release them to do what God is calling them to do. Not hold them back, but allow God to work in and through them in their lives. One of the most defeating passages I feel in the Bible is found in Judges chapter 2. 
The context is Joshua and the people had just conquered the promised land. They had gone through the entire place. They had seen God do incredible things. And this is what comes right after that. Judges chapter 2 says this. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors and another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. What happened? This whole generation had seen the sun stand still in the middle of the sky. They had seen walls crumble down to the earth with just a trumpet blast. They had seen God defeat mighty armies with a small band of soldiers. They had seen incredible things. And within one generation, a generation rose up who neither knew God or obeyed him. Oh man, what happened? I don't know exactly where the disconnect was, but a whole generation of people rose up and God had become so small in their eyes, in his people, that an entire generation could no longer see him. Oh, that we would be so different. May we raise up a whole generation of followers of Jesus who see God do amazing things, who believe in God and trust him and know that his way is best, who know that he is faithful in the good times and the bad so they can trust him with their whole lives and that he will always do what is good. I want us to raise up a generation that sees God as so big that they want the whole world to see that God. That God is who we want to pass along to the next generation. God, we pray that you would help us to pass the faith on, the joy, the passion, the experience that you've given us. May we share it with the generation before us that they may run their leg of the race well and finish well. May you be honored and glorified in our lives in this church, we ask.